Hey, hey, it's Bruce Pritchard, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard. Our special guest this week is here to talk about December new Miss Member that they weren't at. And uh, tell everybody who you are, sir. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. How are you, man? Hey, hey, I'm great. But we're not really doing the member to December. We're not, what are we doing? We're not, no, we're not doing that. I told you last week I wasn't there. I think this is what I think. All right. Instead, I think that we should review this great movie that came out. It's called Armageddon. Steven Tyler was in it. Mm. Uh, Bruce Pritchett was in it. All kinds of people were in it. You remember that movie? Um, I think I'm... I could spend a lifetime here inside your, I don't know the words just to say, and they had little giraffes in it and shit, little mini giraffes and on the belly and shit. I got it all, man. You, you name it. I got it. Well, there we go. Didn't expect that this morning. Well, hey, See, man. I'm unexpectable. Okay. I didn't know that was a word, but I'm going to start using it. I really like that. Unexpectable. I'm unexpectable by God. Dude, dude, dude. So. Hey. 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 hey you just chill out. This is Superdome when you was born three, three and a half hours after you was born. I did not. So fuck you. That's true. All right. By the way, that is, uh. Basically a sampling of what it's like to be friends with Michael Hayes. Well, shit. How many it, times has he asked you about selling out the Superdome? Um, you know, um, I think only about 7,904, four times, maybe the fifth time was, was to a group of us, but me personally. 7,504. Well, so there you go. Um, here we go. How the hell are you doing? Man, better than I deserve. Excited to be here. Thanksgiving's in the rearview mirror. I finally got those turkeys finished that I was trying to cook in the middle of last week's show. It was a big hit. And uh, now I'm ready to talk about 15 years ago WWE. Cash question about Thanksgiving? Oh, man. Ask as many as you'd like. How many turkeys you have? I did two and, uh, for Christmas, I'll be doing three. Okay. So I did two, too, but we, we didn't have nearly the, the clan that you had at your house clan. I'm from the clan. South. You can't say clan around here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? Think what you want to folks. He had a clan <laughs> over his house. Hey, no, 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 don't and, do that. And so I, I did two as well. You had a clan and, over. Huh? You said you did as well. So you had a clan over. No, I cooked her two turkeys. Oh, oh, I'm, I live in the Northeast. Man. What the Bruce, fuck? take your pills. That was old school right there. Boy, I'm telling you, how are your pills? Our longtime listeners want to know. Oh, uh, they're good, man. Everything's good. That's good. We're glad to hear it. We're pulling for the pills. I like pills, <laughs> but I already took them. <laughs> Damn it. So anyway, I cooked two turkeys. Now we had the one where we served everybody, you know, dinner. Yeah. It's quite nice, quite tasty, but I like leftovers, Conrad. Who doesn't, especially Thanksgiving. Uh, 
I love my Thanksgiving turkey. So I always cook second turkey because I don't feel that there's enough left over for me because my wife feels that she has to give guests like a bunch of leftovers. Right. Feels that we always have too much. So I always cook an extra turkey, leave it off to the side, and then I carve that some bitch at the end of the night. Yeah, buddy. And I put it in the damn fridge so that I can have my turkey sandwiches or my plate of turkey with some stuffing and some gravy and just enjoy that for about three days after Thanksgiving. Well, let me tell you what happened. I can't wait. What happened? I left. I went and did uh, SmackDown. Wherever the hell I was, I don't really remember, but I did it. Long Island, probably. And then I came home and I worked out the next morning, bright and early, bright and early and came home. Cause I was, I worked out really hard it, cause I knew that I was going to get home and I was going to treat myself to a big ass turkey sandwich. I got home. I went in the fridge last huh. time I'd seen that turkey that I had carved an entire bird. That bag wasn't there. So I. You know me, because I'm a charming son of a bitch. I, I, I'm sure that in, my, that in my head it went down something like, excuse me, dear, what, but I don't seem to see the turkey in the refrigerator. Now here's, you happen to know where it where it may have been placed? Now, here's what really happened, and I wasn't even there. I wasn't even there. God damn it, Stephanie. I just put this fucking turkey in this refrigerator and its own bag. I cooked a second one for this very reason. And now it's not in there. What'd you do? Give it to Dodger? See, he don't even eat turkey. He eats solid gold and everybody knows that. Where's the goddamn turkey, Amber? Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so she tells me where it is. I said, it's not in the fucking drawer. It's not there. So she gets up. She comes over, very frustrated, I might add, to show me exactly where the turkey is. And, and I watch her. Because sometimes like she'll hide shit. I think she hides shit. This is what I think she does. I think she hides shit from me, and then she comes in and finds it, or like she'll bring it with you and take it out of her sleeve and find it just to make me look like I didn't look or something. Sure. I know that's what she does. Yeah, I get that. But now she's looking through there, and guess what? What? There is no bag of turkey. What? She can't find it. Oh, now I'm living and I start calling people <laughs> and I call my daughter. Of course she doesn't answer. And I call my son and he doesn't answer. And I said, Hey, urgent, extremely important. Call me now. He didn't. He says text. I'm at work. I said, did you take my goddamn turkey that was in the fridge? He says, yeah, I brought it to work to snack on. An entire turkey yep. that I'd carved for me to have sandwiches. They always complain about leftovers. I like the leftovers. So I was very grumpy that so, Saturday after so, Thanksgiving. Very, very grumpy. I know that's hard to believe. I know that people at home were sitting right there riding in their cars and they're going, wait, wait, Bruce grumpy? Can't happen. Am I right? Am I right? I mean, I've never even heard of you being grumpy. If I'm honest, there you go. Never. You never seen it. No, I mean, I've no. never even heard stories of it unless yeah. it was from a known liar, you know? Yeah. Well, okay. See, there you go. That's a good point. 
Good point. So did, I mean, inquiring minds want to know, did Kane bring home any Turkey or did he eat it all? Not a sliver. He ate the entire Turkey and didn't save you any. Exactly. When's Kane going to have to find his own place. Do you think? Well, once he finds where his clothes and all of his belongings are, maybe he'll stay there. So you, uh, you to retaliate from this Turkey cave. No, no, I do not retaliate. Okay. To give a receipt for this, uh, Turkey. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing. When you go give a receipt, you, f- I find literally half of my clothes in his, in his bedroom. Wait, he's wearing your clothes. Yeah. Y'all were way different sizes. Well, like my sweatshirts and, and sweatpants and things like that. My shorts and, and he just took from me. Yes. Is that basically your experience as a father that your kids just take and take and take, and then there's nothing left for poor old dad. Yes. Yeah. Amber calls it going shopping. What's coming into your closet and is going to my closet and, and getting shit. She goes, I'm going shopping right now. And then she'll go in my closet and just take shit for her and her boyfriend. I got the day, man. I'm sitting there and, and she's showing me a picture. The guy walks in where not, you know, I used to be over shirt. I said, no, you didn't. And unless you paid for that and didn't get a call from me. No, you didn't. Well, yeah, that's my life. That's what my life has become. You should start charging the kids uh, for meeting greets. I should. I think you should, but I'd go broke because they are hardly ever here to meet me or greet me. Well, I didn't say quit your job. I think you should keep your job. Oh, okay. I didn't mean like just charging the kids would be your new full-time gig. Oh, well, I was hoping. Well, Bruce, thanks for the catch up on Turkey day. I guess the, the follow-up question or the natural is, do you, uh, do you think you're going to do three turkeys for Christmas? No, but I'm going to hide the leftover. Yep. I think that's fair. Yeah. I'm going to put it in a lockbox. Well, boys and girls, we are, uh, going to attempt to talk about Armageddon 2006. Uh, we've sort of been going episodically through 06 this year and, uh, 1996, but when it comes to 06, we have briefly covered the December to dismember episode or show on our WWE CW episode, where we talked about really the end of Paul Heyman in the WWE here, at least for a bit on the heels of that disaster of a show. Well, I mean, let's talk about what we know. At least so we can give them a little bit of that. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. What was the card? Uh, Was that the elimination chamber? Yes. Okay. So as I told you the other day, I, uh, I went to TV and I actually had this, uh, this talk with somebody last night in general, God, it's a small world, small time frame. Um, but the December member to December, something like uh, that. What's that? Something like that. Yeah. 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 That one, the, the Iswa show. Um, I had some, uh, teeth problems going on and okay. like my face was all swollen up real bad. And I was in a lot of pain and I was out of painkillers cause my, I got like a dry socket type gimmick going on, which is very painful. If you've ever had your uh, wisdom teeth pulled or shit like that. And 
even Stephanie McMahon felt very sorry for me looking at me because I was miserable. But I was there, by God. And she says, Bruce, what's going on with you? And I told her and showed her the thing. She goes, get out of here. Go. And we were, I think, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We were in wherever Amway is. And I was at the Amway Hotel, which, if you ever get an opportunity to stay, is a very nice hotel uh, off their campus there. And was able to get a, a prescription filled so that I could get out of pain a little bit. And then uh, got a driver to drive me to Detroit, Michigan, so that I could take a uh, nonstop flight home. So I never saw December to remember, mismember to December. And... I, yeah, I, I don't think yeah, I could tell you anything about it. Sorry. But that's why. So Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon are going to split afterwards. And uh, this is the third time. Obviously, it's not the last. Do you ever talk to Paul about this era of his run with WWE where it felt like he was sort of on again, off again with Vince? Yeah. I mean, from time to time, I don't think that, I think it was a combination of things that a Vince was done and B, I think Paul had also burnt out in that very, very much like Bill Watts and, and, uh, Bill Watts had gone from having his own company to working for Turner and having to answer to someone. And that, that's a different, that's a different gig altogether. Um, and Paul, I think being able to had no checks and balances at ECW. And now all of a sudden he has checks and balances and Vince, and he's, he's got to change his ways as far as that goes. And I think that, um, just didn't just didn't work out. I mean, it was just kind of a clash of styles and clash of personalities. And I think Paul was phoning it in and didn't really care because as soon as Vince would knock anything down, they they became oil and water. Just didn't work. So something else coming out of Armageddon is Big Show is going to take some time off to get his body right, and uh, with his contract coming up, he's not going to return to the WWE until. Uh, February was it time for big show to maybe go and learn a new hold big show was beat up man. first of all, I couldn't imagine being a seven foot, 400 pound giant. That's a big man. Yeah. And the wear and tear on his body is a lot different than the wear and tear on a 200 pounder or a 250 pounder. So the best thing for big show to do at the time was. Heal up, go get some rest, get your body right, and um, come back in, in a different way. What did you think of, uh, and I know we briefly touched on it before, but Big Show's really going to take like a year off here from February 07 to February of 2008. In between time is when they at least tease the idea that maybe he's going to do some sort of match in 2007 or I think it was late April with Hulk Hogan. And, uh, that was all happening in the Memphis area. Yeah. That's when he dropped his slave name of big show. Well, that's an interesting phrase. 
Well, uh, that's that was his quote at the press conference. Oh, that's right. You know, I'm looking yeah. at it here. He said Big Show was his slave name, and he did not want to be owned anymore. Um, were you surprised to see him and and Hogan try to do something outside of WWE here in the seven? Not really, because Big Show had a lot of admiration for Hulk Hogan, and they were friends. And to Big Show, you know, Hulk was the guy that gave him his first break and was able to come in and deem him the giant and work a program that, you know, kind of made people reminisce about the Hogan-Andre issues throughout the years. So I think there was a bit of loyalty on the part of Big Show towards Hogan. So it didn't surprise me at all. You're building up three events at this time. You're starting to prep for the Royal rumble. You've still got Armageddon and on the raw side, you're working on the new year's day raw with Cena versus Federline. It's gotta be kind of hard for Armageddon to not get lost in the shuffle, especially if you've got, you know, a guy like Paul Heyman leaving creatively, it just feels like that's going to stretch you even more thin. Would I be wrong in assuming that? No, because I think by this time, I think Paul had pretty much checked out. So it was almost addition by subtraction. So there's talk in the observer that Rob Van Dam is openly complaining after the ECW pay-per-view and with his contract coming due, it's assumed that he's going to be leaving after the failure to sort of launch that ECW brand. It was a pretty quick fall from grace from Rob Van Dam. Uh, was it really all about, you know, the arrests and suspension that happened really right as he took off? that did this to him, do you think, or did he take the whole ECW thing, not being the experiment, shall we say, not being a bigger success harder than others, maybe? No, I think that, you know, Rob was ready. I think Rob had done his time. It wasn't happening as much fun. The ECW experiment, if you will. Um, I don't know if that hastened it at all. That was a good excuse to use. But I don't think that that was a real reason. He's probably just burned out on the road and the lifestyle. I mean, you know, in that era, I mean, obviously things are different in the COVID world, but the schedule and the travel is what we hear more often than not that, that guys were like, oh man, I had a lot of fun, but that part was hard. Yeah. You know, it's funny, uh, guys that were on the road for 360 days a year that felt that that schedule was just what it was. Um, that was a grueling schedule. And then when guys are on the road for 150 days a year, oh my God, the schedule. And then guys are on the road for 50 <laughs> days a year. It's like, oh my God, how do they expect me to work beyond this? In that regard, I think it always comes in cycles depending upon how well business is. If business is great, for 360 days a year, it's the greatest time of your life. If business isn't great, oh my God, they're working me too hard. Well, let's talk about, uh, the observer here quote with things changing. It seems every hour, the last word after TV was no long-term plans are being formulated for either the Hardys or Eminem. Vince has changed his mind a few times, which is why Joey styles on the ECW broadcast talked about it being the last time they would be together. And then they were in the raw main event the next day. If Vince decides to go with both as tag teams, the tentative idea is that they will both be used on raw. If they're singles. Mercury goes to ECW and Matt back to SmackDown. 
I know the Hardys were under the impression they were going to be kept together, at least for the short run. And Eminem had the impression they were not going to be. Heyman came up with the idea of putting Eminem back together and wrestling the Hardys because he knew he needed a strong wrestling match on the pay-per-view. And it was at the time supposed to be a one week thing for the Hardys and one show for Eminem. Of course, plans change pal, but it does seem like the, the brand extension might be actually hindering creative here. You got guys bouncing from show to show and in different roles on them on raw. Johnny Nitro is helping Kevin Federline against Cena, but on SmackDown, he's teaming with Joey Mercury. When you think back in this era, does this, it's the way you remember it feel a little strained. I think there was a lot of trial and error. So, you know, yeah, it was, it was a little strange because uh, rules were broken every hour. It felt like, <laughs> you know, where you went, no, you're never going to do that again. Oh, well, Hey, what about if we did this? Great. So the rules were constantly in flux and, and changing. So you kind of had to roll with the flow and, and just take what you had and make the most that you could out of it. The WWE goes to Iraq for the, uh, tribute to the troops special. Uh, how special was the tribute to the troops for Vince? It feels like this was priority number one for him for a long time. This will, without a doubt, tribute to the troops was one of the most, I think, prestigious in many ways. I never got to go on one of those overseas tribute to the troops, and I always wanted to. Um, my dad, my brothers were in the service, and and I just wanted to do that. It was a priority because it was an opportunity to be able to give back to those who sacrificed their lives for us each and every day and to protect our freedoms. So anything that we could do to help those guys, especially those that were on the front line uh, at that time, we would do. And it was it was a huge show. I mean, it was a huge show with a lot of meaning uh, to be able to give back to our servicemen. And everyone out there who, who is, who has ever served our country. Thank you. From the observer, uh, quote with Heyman out, here's how the creative team stands right now. And the basic depth chart raw has Brian Gerwitz as the, uh, lead and Koski and Dave Kapoor will also be on his team. Smackdown. Gerwitz. He don't like Gerwitz. He's Gewertz. Uh, SmackDown is led by Michael Hayes. We've also got Dusty Rhodes, Court Bauer, and Christopher DeJoseph. On the ECW side of things, it's Dave Lagana, who's the interim lead writer. And boy, I'm going to struggle with this last one. Pants. Okay. And tell me about Pants. That's a name we haven't heard a lot about. He's a writer's assistant. That's all he was. Okay, but do you have any anything you can add to this person? His one, his one big, uh, his one big uh, contribution was he had an idea. What? If, what if I play cancer? What if we had a character called Cancer? And they just kill everybody. I, that's really not a good one, there. Um, yeah, and I, I wanted to kill him because as he's talking about it my wife was having a battle with cancer so um yeah fuck him um he was just a production assistant meant nothing um 
And DJ and, and Michael, for the most part, were really doing SmackDown. Uh, Brian and Ed were were doing Raw. I guess Logano would would format ECW, um, and then I kind of had to work on both Raw and SmackDown. Tell me about Dave Kapoor. Hey guys, are you looking for the perfect Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see, Paint Your Life transform your photos into a one-of-a-kind hand-painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload photos of anything you can imagine. You choose the artists and the art medium. They've even got great frames. It all takes less than five minutes to get started, and you can get your portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Dave, um, Dave was on just on the raw team as a writer at that time. Dave had come in. I think that Dave had just gotten there. So Dave was like pretty young on the team in 2007. How about dusty working with Michael Hayes on SmackDown? That seems like that would have been fun to sit in on. (laughs) Yeah. You know, dusty, dusty was dusty and dusty and Michael got along just fine. It was. The, the issue with that was, I think that Dusty and Michael in a lot of ways were too close to being the same when you are looking at the product. I think you need different, you need, you need opposing views a lot of times, but you know, Dusty, Dusty was Dusty and, and Dusty did a good job with, with the stuff that he had, but dream dream was an idea guy. Dream wasn't wasn't a worker bee. Court Bauer, we hear a lot about him these days with MLW, but what about him from a WWE standpoint? What was that like? Um, you know, uh, Court pretty much handled our travel and uh, would book the travel, and and he was like the first member of the home team that. Uh, you know, he didn't travel with us. He traveled with us, I think maybe three times, four times, maybe. I don't really recall that much because, you know, I wasn't in the office all the time, but from my experience, he, he handled the travel and was pretty much the first like at home, stay at home, not go on the road rider that we had. So Booker is suffering through some back injuries. He's also opening a wrestling school and a promotion in Texas. Uh, what did you think Booker was, was aiming to do or hoping to do here? Was he starting to think about, Hey, what am I going to do when I wind down my in ring? 
Yeah, you know, Booker had this uh, vision, still does have this vision of, of wanting to be a promoter, wanting to be the, you know, promoter in Houston, Texas of, of wrestling. So he opened up his, his school, Reality of Wrestling. They recorded shows. God, what was the... Um, that doesn't matter. But he, he used to uh, shoot TV uh, at the Clear Lake... Civic Center or something like that, and and he would record it and and put shows together and put them out there wherever the hell he could. But Book had a school. Book had a good little school. Still does. Book has a great school, and still doing TV to this day and keeps uh, keeps growing. Reality of wrestling, and they're doing doing a hell of a job. And that was Book's dream. But Book at this time, I think the injury bug was getting to him and just sore. Sore and tired. And, and Booker's actually cranked out some stars that, you know, some of our listeners may have actually heard of. So, uh, if you haven't already go out of your way to check out reality of wrestling, I know it's been, uh, something that you've been paying attention to for a long time. And once upon a time, you can go hang out and check out the shows and the whole deal. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, we want to mention too, that, uh, Cena is going to be moving over to SmackDown for another one night only appearance because the show's in Boston, but it was never advertised, which leads Meltzer to believe the show only drawing 5,500 was the result of that. You know, when you've got a big surprise like that and, or I guess that's what I sh- I'm trying to ask, do you value the surprise over the bump in business or should you always err on, well, let's do what's best for business and, and not worry about the surprises or creative or what have you. It's a, um, it's a, that's a tough question. It really depends on, on what the value of that surprise is versus the value of getting out in front of it and everyone know that person's going to be there. So it's, it becomes a catch 22 sometimes. Uh, I am, have always been one of, I like to promote. I like to let people know what they're going to get as much as we can and try to get those names out there. So or at least a hint for God's sake. Undertaker and Kennedy are going to continue their program with Taker using, uh, hearses to free Kennedy out. Kennedy's cutting promos on how he's beaten Taker twice. Now doesn't have anything left to prove and to keep the Kennedy push going. Uh, it feels like it's necessary eventually for Taker to get his win back. Uh, let's keep it going here. Cena and Batista are going to stand tall over Finley and Booker on SmackDown. And it seems like Cena being on SmackDown might actually be a thing moving forward. Is this the era where Cena's schedule just started to get nutty? I mean, there was a run there where it felt like Cena was on every WWE thing for years, radio, media, uh, any sort of public appearance, but also every house show, every TV, every pay-per-view, uh, is this when Vince started to think, Hey man, just add Cena. Well, John was over and John also had the desire, the wherewithal to do that. John wanted to do every single thing that he possibly could do and did it well. So when you're, you're looking at what you have and who you have, John Cena was always first and foremost in everyone's mind. 
because John wanted to make everything and John would make, John never phoned it in. He would always go out and have fun, always go out and put out the most effort. So if you put John on the card and you put John anywhere, he was going to deliver. It was, that was a, just a done deal. So there's an interesting match announced for Armageddon. Uh, on this SmackDown, Paul London, and Brian Kendrick, defending the tag titles against William Regal and Dave Taylor. And we know that match doesn't actually wind up happening, but Bruce, I understand things change, pal, blah, 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 but goodness gracious, this is announced on a Tuesday and it's changed by Sunday. When you hear that, do you think most likely injury or did someone raise their hand and say, Hey, what if, and just had a better idea. I think it was just a better idea. Is there a concern though, that, you know, after you've spent all this time promoting something on TV, even if it was just that one day you, you dedicated valuable TV time and now we're not going to deliver it pay-per-view wise, or do you say, you know, how many people were paying to see this Dave Taylor match anyway? Well, that's my point. Okay. When you look at that, how many people are going to go buy that, that event for that match and how many are going to miss it? Uh, the rest of the card is announced as an inferno match between Kane and MVP Miz versus boogeyman and Ken Kennedy against the undertaker in a last ride match. Conrad, you're, you're from, you're, you're from Alabama. Yeah. Did you ever hear of the infernos? I knew about these inferno matches. Yes. Well, the, the, oh, infernos, you mean the old tag team, the, the yeah, tag yeah. team from the sixties. Yes. I've at least heard of them. Can't say that I know much of their work. Well, one of them was, was, was an Alabamian or somebody from down there in the Southeast, old Frankie Kane, great Mephisto. And he had a club club foot. So his foot liked to party or what does that mean? Yeah. Well, it was shorter. His one leg was shorter than the other. So he would build up his boot and he would tap the, the toe of that boot. And I know I've told the story about Terry Funk and the in the studio and them chasing the infernos out and getting that club foot inferno and holding him down, taking his boot off, find out what was inside that boot that when you tap the toe and you got kicked in it and what, what it would do to a man's forehead. And Terry told that story and he talked about how, by God, when you get kicked in the head, it felt like a sledgehammer. And when we got the boot, we found there was a trap door so that when Inferno number two would tap the end of his toe, two pounds of lead would go to the front of the boot and then he would kick you in the head. Have you ever been kicked in the head with two pounds of lead. Well, I have, and this right here, all these stitches in my head are the result of the inferno number twos, two pounds of lead. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. I've got the boot now, and I'm gonna wear it at the L. Paso Civic Center, and I'm going to kick you in the head with two pounds of lead. 
and see how you like it. I love you for that, Bruce. And your mother's a whore. When's the last time you got to talk to Mr. Funk? Uh, when uh, Vicky passed, when his wife passed. You should call him today. I should. I probably, now I probably will. But uh, Terry was such a great storyteller. And, and the thing to me was, was that w- what was confusing about that was if he had two pounds of lead in, in his in his boot, right? That's what I heard. And so you tap the toe, the lead would go down there. Then you tap it on the heel to take it back. But how could they not feel that in the heel? And wouldn't it hurt more if they kicked you with the heel of that motherfucker? That seems I mean, hypothetically. That seems logical. Seems logical, but just wasn't. And then, and then when Terry tapped it and he kicked that inferno, it split his mask wide what? open. Oh Lord. Yeah. Two pounds of lead. And, uh, but when Terry went to kick it back, he didn't get it kicked back and the referee found it. So Terry was disqualified. Tremendous. Well, let's, um, let's pick back up where we were here as we're building the inferno match. <laughs> I wanted to ask Miz and boogeyman. They were in the inferno match. I mean, do you think Miz and boogeyman some main event anywhere in America? Absolutely. Armageddon happens from Richmond, Virginia, December 17th, 2006. There's 8,200 fans there. 7,100 of them were paying $423,500. Uh, did pretty decent on pay-per-view better than maybe you remember 239,000 pay-per-view buys, which is a lot more than we hear about these days. Uh, the O five Armageddon show featured Randy Orton and the undertaker and the hell in a cell. So the year prior had a pretty decent main event, right? 320,000 buys too. So it is a pretty substantial drop, but it feels like since we've got December to dismember and this show, we're really trying to split our audience a little bit here. And I don't think that gets talked about because even though that was a terrible show, you had two pay-per-view offerings in the same month from the same company. So you're asking for a lot, right? Too much. Yeah. I think, I just think it was too much product thrown at everybody too soon. Uh, the, uh, readers of the wrestling Uh. observer had this 73.4% voted as a thumbs up, which keeps the SmackDown pay-per-view streak of good shows going, um, in this era, sort of the infancy of of the brand split or the early years of the brand split. Did you feel like one was a stronger television product and another was a stronger pay-per-view product, or maybe one branded better on house shows or what have you? I think they were pretty equal on house shows. Um, I think SmackDown and maybe it's just cause <laughs> throughout the two shows I always concentrated more on SmackDown. So I always felt that SmackDown was a better show. Not to say that Raw wasn't great, but it was, I thought SmackDown, if I had to choose one, I'd choose SmackDown. So let's, uh, let's get into the show. The Inferno match. Um, they build it as six foot flame surrounding the ring. 
Meltzer would say the flames were closer to one foot high. Although if someone took a big bump, they would momentarily get to the level of the top rope. The Which match is about how high. Well, I, I get where you're going. Yeah. Six feet and, and higher. Well, I mean, the top rope is not Around, six feet. When the undertaker steps over the top rope, where, that doesn't make him 12 the, feet tall. Uh, from where the flames were, it was six feet. Buddy. I just want to talk about how silly this is and how dangerous it is. Why is it silly? It's a goddamn inferno match. You're surrounded by a wall of flames. It's being like you're, you're in Dante's inferno. There right. is no escape. You must walk through the flames if you can. And if you attempt it and you get set on fire, then guess what, pal? You're done. You're burnt. It's over. Hypothetically Not silly fucking light a table on fire and, and, and go through it for no reason whatsoever. No, it if, was, you actually set your opponent on fire very safely. And, uh, you set them on fire safely. Okay. There's a way to do it. Well, I'm sure that what you're referencing about the flaming table, you're talking about when the Dudleys did it, right? Yes. I couldn't stand it. It yeah. made no sense. Is a pro tip. If you're going to go through a flaming table to wear a t-shirt. Well, it's probably a good idea. I just, you know, to me, it was just, uh, uh in the middle of a match. Was it spectacular? Sure. It was spectacular, but I just didn't get it because it's like, okay, now I've got you beat, but first hang on, let me get a table. Now let me put lighter fluid on it. Now let me set it on fire, but now I'm going to go through it. I think what makes more sense would be if we brought in a bunch of dirt and we dug a hole and we yeah. buried one of the guys alive, that makes a lot of sense. And then maybe if one of the guys in particular had lightning strike his casket that was on fire, he could ascend to heaven or something. Um, I've seen it happen, man. <laughs> oh God, I love you. I, I've witnessed it. I'm witness. You know, the, the, the Lakewood church with Joel, Joel Osteen, uh, does his Sunday services or any Joel Osteen, uh, followers out there. I'm not busting on Joel Osteen. I actually like Joel. Um, the rest of his family, I don't know, but I like Joel. I thought I was entertained, very entertained by Joel. And I like his, liked his dad, but a few years ago they had a, theft from the church, $600,000 and a plumber in repairing a toilet this week found $400,000 in the walls of Lakewood church. And at the time they were offering $25,000 to anybody with that had any knowledge that could lead to the arrest of the people that stole this, but this plumber finds the money and they won't give him a reward. He could have just taken it, man, and moved on. No, he turned every penny in. How the fuck did I get off on Joel Osteen? I don't know. I was just going to lay out until you were done. Never mind. I don't know. Oh, oh, I, 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 okay. You have to believe the that these flames. Yeah. I'm coming to get you. Okay. This is Bruce a little punchy. 
This Bruce a lot punchy, man. This Bruce with about two and a half hours <laughs> sleep. When I texted you last night, that was just when we were landing. And then, yeah, anyway. So, at one point, MVP undoes a turnbuckle, and the pad at least, and sets it on fire. But he had to try twice because the first time, he's trying to light up uh, the pad, and the flames go out on one side of the ring. So Kane stops him and the pad, which is now on fire falls to the mat, which momentarily lights up. This is less than ideal. I mean, ultimately MVP is going to run around with the back of his ring outfit on fire until he's put out with a fire extinguisher. And they announced on the show that he was taken to a hospital, but of course that was all the work. Uh, but this whole stunt we're playing with fire. Uh, does any part of you think. I don't know if old Dory Funk Jr. and Jack Briscoe needed all this, or do you kind of dig this? I dig it with the right people for the right reasons. I dig it if it's an if it's an issue that the idea is to keep someone in the ring that doesn't want to get burnt by fleeing the ring. I liked it for that. I liked it for Undertaker and Kane. Made sense. And, uh, you know, at this point, I think it was kind of looking for a gimmick match to make, make it different. And Kane was all about fire. Inferno match. The match gets one star. You know, if you had to do over again, would you have scrapped the very idea of an Inferno match? Like overall as a concept, as far as gimmick matches go, it, it feels like it's way down the list. Depends on who it is. I would have scratched it for this match. I think, I think this is the last one ever though. Is it not? Yeah. Well, maybe a good reason for that. You tried one in April of 98 unforgiven with the undertaker and Kane. You tried it again on raw and Chattanooga in 99 with undertaker and Kane. And then we tried it with triple H and Kane on SmackDown in Dallas later that same year, 1999. So we wait more than seven years before we bring it back here. And that's the end. Thank God. Cause it was pain in the ass to set up to. Is that more by and large? Do you think that it was done away with because people realized as a concept, it sucked or the, the company started to become more and more PG and can't be showing kids dudes lighting each other on fire. Well, I think that it was a combination of a lot of things. It was a very expensive match to put together. It was very, um, the potential for failure, um, outweighs the positive outcome that could potentially happen. So I didn't feel that it was, I liked it for undertaker King. I mean, uh, you know, to me, leave it at that. That was one special match and it worked. Yeah. And the rest of them, I think were forces. How nervous was your boy MVP about? So what if. <laughs> We just set you on fire. Well, fuck. I set myself on fire every night trying to light my cigarettes from the wrong end. Deep, deep, dude. Was he nervous? How many times this? you ever sell out the fucking Superdome? I was in the womb. <laughs> and my mom announced me coming out and sold out the Superdome. Dude, dude, dude. 
What do you think MVP thought of being lit on fire? I think he was happy to be lit on fire. Who wouldn't be? Okay. Well, there's a fun spot. Now the match on fire. Now the match, everybody here is excited to talk about. It's this entire show is stolen by a four team ladder match with the tag champs, Kendrick and London, keeping the titles against Regal and Taylor, as well as late editions, Eminem and the Hardys. Meltzer would say the addition of, sorry, you're right. That was my, it's, it's like my maracas, but you know that we're recording right now. Oh shit. People are going to hear this. You see, wait a minute. I thought we were just talking. Oh, well, you, well, you just called me. You didn't, you introduced You us. need to be a little more. You need to be a little bit more, uh, clear. You introduced me on the show. You opened the show today. This will, this excuse won't work today. Okay. Let's do the show tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, Meltzer would say the addition of Eminem and the Hardys and the ladder stipulation was done late and may have helped for a lackluster show had it been advertised, but the decision to go with it came late. I don't know that advertising that it's a ladder match or that you've got two more teams in there would have necessarily added anything or moved the needle much at the very last minute. Regal and Taylor, not exactly ladder match guys. And now they find themselves in this spot here. <clears throat> Ultimately, as we said, London and Kendrick get the win. Teddy Long's going to announce the ladder stipulation. The fans are chanting for the Hardys after they see the Eminem team come out. The Hardys are the clear crowd favorite, and that's probably not different these days. Meltzer would say it was telling that the two most overacts on a SmackDown pay-per-view were a tag team that isn't supposed to exist featuring a guy on raw and Cena. This was your classic car crash match. It was a series of stunts, which at the time told a little story and at other times was just setting up a new crazy spot. They did a gimmick where Regal and Taylor were afraid of heights. So when they had the advantage, they would particularly Regal. He would be so hesitant to climb that they'd blow the chance. Mercury's on top and all the other wrestlers picked up the ladder from the bottom and it tipped over. He went flying over the top rope and crashed on a nitro who broke his fall. There was a spot in the match where Jeff Hardy came off the top rope on the one side of the ladder for a teeter totter spot that was about to take out both members of Eminem. It did the job too well as the ladder smashed into Mercury's nose and left eye blood was flying everywhere. It was his clear eye. It was clear. His eyes would be swollen shut very quickly. Medical personnel rushed to the scene and got him backstage in what was a very scary scene. It's very rare to leave in the middle of the match, particularly in one that had more pre-planned spots involving him. In fact, not only did many aspects of the match at that point team seem to have to be improvised, but Mercury was heavily involved in the planned finish, which was all done now on the fly. He's rushed to the hospital, diagnosed with four different fractures of the nose. He needed five stitches on the inside of the nose and cheek and 15 more stitches on the outside, as well as his left eye being swollen shut as of the next day. This is one of the more gruesome injuries we would ever see in WWE. And it, you know, people would still be talking about this match, maybe for the in-ring performance had it not been for that, but. Lord, when it got hurt, man, it's all anybody remembers. What do you remember of this? Well, I mean, from my vantage point, it was 
it was just horrible. It was it was ugly, and we were concerned. Having you know been in a situation where Brock Lesnar kicked a wall into my face, and not knowing if my eye was there, my eye, um, I I was afraid because we looked, and and Joey's face was just a mask of blood, and no one could tell other than he was badly injured. Uh, so we immediately sent, sent the trainer down to say, Hey, go assess what the hell's going on in there and get him out of there. Joey didn't want to go. Joey wanted to stay in the match, but the initial assessment, we looked at it and we got him back immediately and got him wrapped up because again, there was the fear of losing his eye and no one knew the extent of how bad this injury could be. So we called for an ambulance. <clears throat> and there's a there's a a law, like when you're in a building, okay? We always have, first of all, we have our own medical team there, but we also always have an ambulance service there. The building has usually has an ambulance service, and and they can they can double, so you can have the building and, and you can use it. The only thing is is that you cannot. There always has to be an ambulance there. So if someone goes in the ambulance, that you've got to wait now for another ambulance to come and replace the ambulance that you're taking that person to the hospital in. So when you have a uh, dangerous situation like this where someone is injured severely and you're looking at it and they're going, well, we got to wait for the next ambulance to get here. I was like, no, you need to go. And Stephanie McMahon came. <laughs> I remember Stephanie pounding on the window of the ambulance, just saying, you know, you're going to go and you're going to go now. And they pulled up like they were going to go, but they didn't leave. And boy, that brought all of us out and eventually got them to leave. And the second ambulance showed up about five minutes later. But, um, you know, it's scary stuff like that that people don't understand. And, and that you got an ambulance there. Well, that ambulance can't leave till another one shows up. So now we try and do two ambulances so that our ambulance, if something happens, it can go. That's crazy and to think about. I would have never it, known. It really is. Yeah. It's insanity, man. Especially when you know there's another ambulance on the way. Uh, it'll be here in five minutes. But no, I'm not going to leave here. And I guess by the, the word of the law that they can't, but it's very frustrating on the other side of that. And, you know, Joey was a trooper. He, he was, uh, coherent the whole time and just nobody knew how bad it was going to be. And thankfully it, it wasn't, look, it wasn't as bad as it could have been, but it was an ugly one. Johnny Nitro would later say, I happened to be looking up. So it hit me in the throat, but Mercury was looking straight at it and it hit him square in the nose and the orbital bone. It could have really been any one of us. I was just lucky that the ladder hit him first. And Matt Hardy would say, I'll always remember the match for what we did 
to Joey Mercury's face. After the seesaw, I remember hearing him yell, I'm bleeding. And it was like someone went to a sink and turned the faucet on. It was gruesome. And of course the match must continue, but this creates absolute chaos, at least for a moment in the ring here. Does it not? Yeah. I mean, it did, but the guys kept going and Joey, you know, not knowing how serious his injuries are is going along the thought process of, oh, I got to finish the match. I'm just bleeding a little bit or a lot. But once we got him off there, once Larry got to him, it was like, no, you're, we're pulling you from the match. You're coming back now. It was a serious, it was a very serious injury and, and just a crazy accident and knock on wood, you know, we're, very fortunate that we haven't had more crazy injuries like that in some of those ladder matches. Cause you never know where those things are going to go. Joey Mercury has been praised a lot as uh, one of the more great wrestling minds. And, uh, I know that he had a run with WWE. He's going to be in and out for a while and, and various other promotions since then, but this is a, a pretty big injury here. And I know he's had some some other challenges at different times. Do you think that his career trajectory with the WWE was ever the same after this injury? I mean, I know he did a lot of stuff behind the scenes and he was a part of Seth Rollins crew on camera and working with the authority. And I mean, I'm not saying he didn't have wrestling value, but it does feel like his in-ring career after this, I, I, I don't know. It feels like it became more and more what else he could contribute to wrestling. Is that, am I making sense? I think so. You know, I didn't work with, uh, obviously I didn't work with him after 2008. And so I really can't say as to what degree he was able to deliver on, on the other side of, um, of the coin, if you will, on the creative side and, and with his head, I, I never experienced that. So I can't really speak to it. Uh, I want to mention that, uh, he winds up being released from his WWE contract in March of the following year. Uh, had a good run a couple of years with uh, ring of honor. And then he's back in 2010, uh, I think in April, but a few years after that, man, he's going to start being a part of that J and J security, him and Jamie noble. And that was all good stuff. And anyway, uh, 42. So we're pulling for him. Still a very, very young man. I think he's got a uh, big old future in front of him. Uh, Kendrick does a, a slice bread number two, or he goes to do it with Regal off the top of the ladder, but Kendrick landed all wrong. Regal sells it. Like he's knocked out. Kendrick's hurting pretty bad, suffering a legitimate rib injury. And he's even foaming at the mouth here. Uh, London finally in an improvised finish climbs to the top for the win four and a quarter stars. I think Meltzer nailed it when he described this as a car crash. Uh, it's the most talked about planned out situation ever when you've got a match like this and eight different guys, but chaos ensues when a real injury happens. And I think this is worth going out of your way to see again, just because of what it is. Let's say you, but we warn our listeners, the scenes you're about to see are gruesome. Yeah, buddy. You should warn your children parental guidance. So next up. And this, this should come with a warning. Boogeyman pins the Miz in two minutes and 51 seconds with a tree slam. 
Meltzer would say the only thing entertaining about the match was, uh, Miz and doing his promo mentioned that the angle that led to this on Thursday night, SmackDown, it's always good to see these guys who claim to live and die with wrestling, not even realize the show's been moved to Friday now for more than a year. Boogeyman is nowhere near as over as he was before the injury. This was the level of a bad independent match. Boogeyman spit worms into Miz's mouth after the match dud. Boy, the Miz has made a live chicken salad in his career, but the boogeyman here, uh, blooms off the rose. Fair to say. I think that, uh, yeah, the bell never should have rung with boogeyman. I think the boogeyman is a tremendous attraction, a wonderful human being. And it just, you know, there's only so much you can do with that character. It's not a character that you can have on every week or every month, even good to come out certain spots and do some things, do some entertaining stuff. But after that, you know, it needs a rest. You can't do boogeyman every week. And I think that that's where the failure was. People didn't want to see, I'm the boogeyman and I'm coming to get you. It's all great. Did played the world well, but there wasn't a whole lot after that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think you're right. Um, next of course up, I'm right. something totally different. Chris Benoit and Chavo Guerrero for the U S title. I get 12 minutes and 14 seconds. Um, Benoit is going to hit his three German suplexes. And later he's going to hit eight in a row and then put on the sharpshooter. Vicky's going to run in with the title belt. Benoit's going to tell her not to hit him. So she makes a move. Benoit trips her. Teases putting her in the sharpshooter, but he's hesitating in doing so. And that allows Chavo to come from behind with an O'Connor roll. And Benoit reverses the move into a cradle of his own. And then from there into the sharpshooter and Guerrero taps out three and a quarter stars. And by the way, a really, really great match. And I understand a lot of people don't think they can enjoy a Chris Benoit match. And I get that. But the last couple of minutes of reversals here, I think you should go out of your way to see Bruce. This is just so damn smooth and a testament to not just Benoit, but Chavo Guerrero. I mean, this was a phenomenal finish. Connie, how many times do I have to say it? There's a damn Guerrero in the match. It's going to be good. No lies detected. That Chago Gamero, he can go. Next up, we've got Gregory Helms retaining the cruiserweight title, pinning Jimmy Wang Yang in an updated version of three count versus the Jung Dragons. 10 minutes and 51 seconds. Meltzer would say the crowd wasn't into this, even though they had a good match. JBL went crazy, ripping on the crowd, even acknowledging they were chanting boring. <laughs> Helms dropped Yang's face on his knee and got the clean pin. Helms was bleeding badly from the mouth at the end of the match. JBL went off on the crowd again after the match. Three stars. Jimmy Wang Yang. It was Yang. a good match, dude. I do too. I, I think Jimmy Wang Yang is criminally underrated. Everybody knows what we think of Hurricane. He's criminal. Oh, okay. Well, there's that. <laughs> I like Jimmy Jang Jang Wang. <clears throat> of course, you couldn't really predict what was going to happen in that tag match, but if you knew. I mean, it does feel weird. You know, we're starting with an inferno match. Then we got this crazy ladder match. Then we got worms. Then we got Chris Benoit. 
it's a, it's formatted a little weird. Can we agree? No, I just think I understand from a production standpoint, it's easier to have this Inferno match up front, but after we've seen guys get their fucking nose exploded and we set a motherfucker on fire, it's hard for me to get excited about a crippler crossface or a sharpshooter. Well, I th- you know, again, man, I think that there's two kinds of people. There's roller coaster people and there's merry-go-round people. And I'm a roller coaster person. I like starting off at the highest point sometimes and what you think is the highest point, taking the big dive, and then you're off on a ride from there. You don't know what's around the next corner. And then you end with a big finish. So, you know, the merry-go-round, you get on, you know exactly what you're going to get. You go round and round, and your horse goes, you know, or you get a stagnant one that doesn't move at all, and it's the same thing every time. So you're giving them you're giving them different things you're giving them ups and downs and you're not giving them you know a crazy ladder match for every match where they got to go what the hell a lot of variety and different stuff on this so i i like the lineup i like the flow of it next up undertaker and mr kennedy in a last ride match uh Meltzer would say again little heat on this one as well Undertaker was limited here because of his rib injuries. The match told a solid story of the undertaker being beaten twice and arising from the dead each time. First Kennedy got behind undertaker and choked him out. He put undertaker in the back of the hearse, but undertaker stopped him from closing the door. Kennedy gave the undertaker six chair shots to the back and a hard chair shot to the head. And the undertaker sat up from that. They ended up brawling on the top of the set. Kennedy throws undertaker off, but you can see it was a gimmick crash pad. There's a light, holy shit chant, but the fall really didn't get the stunned reaction because everyone could see it was gimmicked. Kennedy put undertaker in the back of the hearse and got in it to drive away. But when he got in the hearse undertaker who hadn't been dead when he was put in had fully recovered. He gave Kennedy a chair shot to the head and Kennedy juiced and then followed with a tombstone on the roof of the hearse. Undertaker put Kennedy in the back of the hearse and drove off to end the match. Two and a quarter stars. It's in the top five of my favorite hearse matches. Boy, we got gimmicks on gimmicks on gimmicks here. Talk to me about the. We could, this just could. This just could have been gimmick guard guard again. Yeah, gimmick again. Gimmick again. Chat me up though. The last ride is of course the name of the Undertaker's big power bomb, but now it's a hearse match. Uh, who, who deserves the credit for thinking of a hearse match? God, I, I have no idea. It sounds like a Michael. Hey, 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 let's put him in a hearse or a <laughs> hearsed. I can see that hearsed. <laughs> get one of them hearsed girls and, and have a match right there. Like, wait a minute. You want to have a hearsed match? Well, fuck. That's what I said. Maybe we could get Patty Hearst to come on and be like a referee. What what did you think of uh, Kennedy and Undertaker, their chemistry together? You know, they really didn't have bad chemistry together. I thought that they worked pretty well together. And uh, we were really hoping, you know, this could be one of those breakouts for for Kennedy. And it just never, never broke out. 
how was, uh, how did they get along behind the scenes? Kennedy and undertaker. I know. I mean, yeah, I don't remember there ever being a problem. I, I think that everybody liked Ken and wanted to help Ken get to the next level. If you believe the rumor and innuendo, eventually that changed where folks who, you know, they had a different opinion of Ken. When did that happen? And, and, and why ultimately do you think it happened? I wasn't there when that happened. And, and frankly, uh, was a little shocked when I read it in that time frame, So I really don't know what happened. I don't know if Ken just fell out of favor or if people got to the point to where you're trying to take him to the promised land, but he can't cross the line. Um, so I, I don't know. I really don't know what happened there. Uh, it's a pretty big time match here that these guys are having, uh, you know, with, uh, and I know it's a gimmick crash pad or whatever, but it's still a big spot. And then the tombstone on the hearse, a bunch of chair shots, you're pulling out all the stops. And then you've got the worst segment on the show. It's billed as Santa Claus doing a naughty and nice diva lingerie contest with Jillian Hall, Ashley, Layla, and crystal Marshall. And it's almost mind boggling how much of this stuff happened in this era. And. Really, the audience is barely reacting to the women here in lingerie. Meltzer would say it was clearly designed for Ashley to win since she's the one being pushed with her Playboy cover coming out. They let her wear the least amount of clothes and put her, uh, put her on in the cleanup position. Um, Meltzer would say a hall isn't over at all. And crystal who has a freaky phenomenal body where lingerie covering her up, basically eliminating her from the competition. And for some reason, they allowed Layla to wear a skimpy bikini outfit like Ashley, figuring Ashley is over and she isn't. But they forgot Layla is a professional dancer who knows how to work a crowd. They also forgot to tell her to lose, so she blew away the field. And when Santa asked the audience to pick who won, they booed Hall and Marshall, who wore the least. However, Layla got twice the cheers of Ashley. Nevertheless, that didn't stop Michael Cole from proclaiming that the audience had picked Ashley. In one of the more embarrassing moments, Santa Claus then said that everyone won. He took off his Santa outfit and what do you know? It was Christopher to Joseph doing the big Dick Johnson act in his thong. He starts dancing. Crystal acts revolted while Layla acts like she's having fun. And Meltzer says, I'm trying to figure out what this big Dick Johnson character is supposed to appeal to 65% of the audience is guys. And they're not into seeing naked fat dancing men. Well, at least most of them. 35% are women, and I'm not sure they'd go for them either. Sort of get the idea that it's it's humor, but when nobody in the audience laughs, cheers, or really acts like anything but revolted, I'm not sure what it's accomplishing. It's gross, but not even all that gross, like eating worms, which we already got on the show. Phew. You unpack all that, and to me, it's like I'm reminded of that old saying, audience of one. I bet Vince loved... The, uh, Santa Claus with a thong on. Not necessarily, but I did. (laughs) Well, I think it's just because you like Chris to Joseph. I do. And look, it was entertaining. You know, jackass guys, Chris Pontius and those guys were doing all kinds of this shit and there was an audience for it. And Chris was out unabashedly doing his thing. And it was, it was fun. It was 
it was meant to be a let me up. It wasn't meant to be serious. And, um, you know, Tokyo Dome, it may have only gotten nine stars, but um, it was fun. Well, uh, now it's time for our main event. Batista. Batista and John Cena on one side, Fit Finley and King Booker on the other. They go 11 and a half minutes. Cena is going to be selling most of the way. The crowd is into Cena and Batista as being the big stars, but they don't seem to be in the match, at least not at the main event level. It was fine with Cena selling, but then he made the hot tag to Batista. Batista was messing up moves all over the place. He and Booker just can't work a good match together. Batista was working to the finish, but botched another spot. Finley then hit Batista in the knee with a chair, apparently figuring he could sell and then go back to where they were supposed to be doing. Uh, Batista figured it was time for the finish. So he ignored that his knee was hit with a chair and used a spine buster and Batista bomb on Booker for the pin star in a quarter. What's going on with Batista not being able to work with Booker and Finley. Do you think? I just think that it was a clash of styles more than anything. And some guys can make beautiful music together and other guys can't. And I think that when it came to Booker and Batista, that there was a mental block there that, that they didn't have the chemistry. Do you think and they fit, just didn't had to work a certain way with it? Do you think they weren't trusting of each other? I think in the ring they were, but I just don't think that I just don't think they, they meshed. That's, I mean, it, it really comes down to as simple as that. And, you know, when you get to Finley, I think Finley, you had to, you had to work Finley style. It is interesting to think about, you know, this, this time here where Batista and Cena are the top guys, but Batista seemingly just does not click with these two opponents. And, uh, the finish is something else, man. I mean, go back and watch it and you're going to. Be scratching your head a little bit. And I know the way we just laid this out, this doesn't necessarily feel like a great show, uh, but it is a very memorable show. And the readers of the wrestling observer, as I said, 73% gave it a thumbs up. So it was a good show, but it just feels like to me, when I think back on this time, it still feels like a company very much in transition, trying to find their rhythm, trying to find their identity. Um, would I be off base in, in, in assuming that that was the case? No, I think that's, that's pretty much on the button because a lot of things were changing from the PG approach yeah. for advertisers and just a whole new crop of talent. Uh, the injury of course, to Joey, uh, Mercury is what people are going to be talking about a lot. Uh, but it's not a bad show. And I mean, I, I still think I land on thumbs up. There's some good wrestling in here. We talked about Benoit's match and how much we enjoyed that. And the same thing with hurricanes match. And then the spectacle of the ladder match, the spectacle of the inferno match as silly as it is, uh, maybe in hindsight, the whole diva lingerie, Krista Joseph thing, maybe could have done without that. You know, you loved it. Let's do some fan questions here. Push wrath, whatever that means wants to know. Uh, when MVP debuted back then, did you ever expect him to still be an important figure on TV 15 years later, Bruce, in your opinion, what makes MVP such a good personality for WWE? I think it's a chance to evolve and change and it's that character has grown. 
So he, he has changed and he has evolved through the years um, and has the aptitude to do so. Uh, Lindsay writes, uh, William Regal pretended to be afraid of heights. Was anyone actually afraid to climb ladders in a ladder match? Almost everyone in a ladder match. Yes. I mean, Regal didn't like heights. Big show didn't like heights. Uh, Flair didn't like heights. Um, I don't think uh, you name it. A lot of guys didn't like climbing those ladders. I climbed one, uh, just to show, Hey man, I can do it. And I got up to the fourth rung and I was like, yeah, no, you know what? Fuck this. Um, it's scary up there. I can, I mean, come on. It's scary. You're and people are bouncing around and shit. It's, it's, uh, it takes a great deal of skill to navigate the ladders, navigate those waters. when there's a billion things happening around you. Instagram, a wrestling historian wants to know how was MVP protected from getting seriously burned? He covered himself uh, in jail. We went to not get seriously burned our us and shit. And we're able to take care of him. Uh, Nick wants to know Armageddon 06 is one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time. Bruce, can you provide any insight as to how this card got so stacked with gimmick matches? I think that when we found ourselves at the end of the year, looking at how a lot of times the pay-per-view attractions towards the end of the year didn't always perform. So there was a bit of an emphasis on uh, gimmick matches and doing things different at this point in the game to try to attract people, maybe have more gimmicks in it, you know, and eventually you would get to everything being themed, but that was more the reason than anything. Steve wants to know, how did Chris Benoit feel about being involved in the Chavo Vicky storylines, knowing how Eddie's death affected him? Was it a personal struggle for him and he was just doing what was asked of him or was he able to separate the two? I think that he was able to work with, uh, Chavito and Vicky and, you know, it was as, as if Eddie was still there and, and being able to work with them gave it a comfort and a normal feeling. Well, next week, Bruce, we're going to be doing something a little different instead of going back 15 years or going back 25 years. One of my, uh, favorite pay-per-views that was seemingly a B show. I still enjoy it in your house. It's time. It's the pay-per-view that's named after Vader that Vader's not even on. Uh, Bret Hart coming off of his return at survivor series will be here taking on the newly crowned world champion psycho Sid. The undertaker is going to take on the executioner in an Armageddon rules match. So this is a, a rare opportunity to see the undertaker wrestle, uh, bam, bam Gordy here in the WWF Hunter Hurstelmsley will defend his intercontinental championship against Mark Marrow. Steve Austin's going to attack the British bulldog before his tag title tag title match with Owen Hart against, of course, the fake diesel and the fake razor, or as you say, just razor and diesel. Well, it's just razor and diesel. Uh, plus we got flash funk, the former two cold Scorpio taking on leaf cast. We know was Al snow. He's super funky. It's going to be a good show, man. I really like this one. I don't know why I like it so well, but anything, the end of 96 is just my jam, uh, West Palm beach, Florida, any good West Palm beach stories we're going to hear next week. <laughs> None we can tell. Oh, I got to hear know what? that one time. My brother, Tom and I, um, 
I was I was kind of at the end of my rope, and I think he was at the end of his rope, and we were both kind of just burnt out. And we did the uh, Girls, Girls, Girls tour. And we went to the dollhouse in Fort Lauderdale. They got girls, girls, girls. And we hit all of the clubs that they mentioned in that song on pretty much on A1A in West Palm, Fort Lauderdale, Boca. And we had us a hell of a week. But we sang, we we did a, a a sampling of the establishments that were mentioned in the girls 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 uh bit music video. Did you have a favorite? Do we what? Did you have a favorite? Uh, probably the dollhouse, just because it was the dollhouse. Well, we did. We had a, we had a good week, man. We ate some, uh, man. We ate some great seafood, and and I, it was a week where we just laughed until we hurt, like all day. It was just we we did stupid shit and just tried to bust each other up, and it was uh, it was just so much fun. Well, it's been a lot of fun, me and you, you know, it's been a crazy ride five years and 300 episodes later, Bruce, uh, here we are getting ready for, I know. Right. Can you believe it? Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I thought we just started doing this. Well, it feels like we did. Okay. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Hey, you know what? We got to give a shout out to Pat McAfee again, because I busted, I busted his chops and he gave us a shout out. And so this time I'm making him wait and listen all the way to the end of the show before we give him a say, Hey, Pat, how is Pat doing? Pat's awesome, man. Pat's awesome. He just donated a bunch of money to his uh, high school. Oh, that's and, cool. Man. Uh, he's, he's a wonderful guy. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, he makes SmackDown a whole lot more fun. Uh, he's doing a great job and I hope everybody, uh, checks out his show as well. And, and Bruce next week, man, in your house, number 12, December, my house is still being remodeled. It's they're tearing it up downstairs. You want to catch us up on that? Man, there's not much to catch up other than I don't have any lights in the basement. So when I come home at four o'clock in the morning and I pull in and I've got to use my flashlight on my phone to find the stairs and things like that. That's less than ideal. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, we'll see. Cause they're supposed to come in. They're supposed to put lights in this week and then we go to Mexico and I'm gone and I'm leaving the house in charge of the people that are going to be here at the house. That's going to be interesting in and of itself. Are you going uh, to Mexico for work, or is this the old house gimmick that we talked about? This is the old Connie house gimmick. Man, I'm disappointed that you get the last shot there and not me. But I hope you have fun. Well, you know, you got the first shot. Dude, it was like our uh, our favorite little vacation spot, and now poof, you're, you're, you're the last tenant. That sucks, dude. Yeah, well, sorry. But it doesn't suck talking about old wrestling with you. We'll be back talking all things 1996 next week. I just love that era. And, uh, we want your questions, man. If you've got a question for us, fire them off over on Twitter. It's at Pritchard show. You can also catch, uh, something to wrestle on YouTube. That's the best way to introduce the wrestling fan in your life to the show. And, uh, Bruce, I'm, I'm fired up, man. 1996. It's my favorite 
era to discuss wrestling and we're doing it again next week. Can't wait. Can't wait. We'll see you sooner rather than later right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard rock on. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.